right. All right, y'all can be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. It's good to see everyone, except all those OU shirts. Uh, yeah, it's really distracting. It does. It's a lot more of God here last weekend. Um, and in our city. Okay. Everybody all right? Well, I was telling Brandon earlier, he says, how are you feeling? I said, I feel like I'm preaching my first sermon. You know, when you go to another church and a new place and a new house and all of that. And so, uh, um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get, we'll get started here. Before I do, I want to say that we are going to be in the book of Romans today. We're going to be in the second chapter and we'll continue that. So if you're new here today, uh, we're, we're, we uh, study through books as a church, and right now uh, we are in Romans. So if you want to go there, that'd be great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, that it brings such a direction. God, I pray today that we would be refreshed by it. God, that we would be changed by it. Father, I do ask that you would give us, God, eyes to see and ears to hear and God, a, a mind to comprehend and a heart and a spirit to receive what you have for us today. And uh, Father, I just pray against any distractions uh, right now that we would just lay down all of those things in our lives and spend time right now, God, in, in, in hearing what you have to say and, uh, and leading us and guiding us through this time and through this book. And we just praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And before we get going into this book, I do want to give a little bit of context. So some of this transition that comes up in chapter 2 happens, it makes sense to you. And so the context here is obviously very important, just as any other book or chapter or whatever. But I just want to say, I think that sometimes there's a little bit of a confusion between Old Testament and New Testament. And there shouldn't be. Because... In light of salvation and God and who he is and what he wants to do. Because in Old Testament, even beginning in Genesis and Abraham, it's always and always has been about faith. And about God's grace and about God saving his people. And so when Abraham believed God, he was accredited what? Righteousness. He became right in God's eyes. There is nothing different in Genesis that there is in Romans and the Gospels with Jesus. That's, that's how God works. When God saved the people, uh, the Israelites, in, out of Egypt, he, he saved them. And, and from that day forward, he gave them salvation and life and, and led them and loved them and all of that. And it's this, the same way here in, in the New Testament. I mean, biblical Christianity is Orthodox Judaism. I mean, it's, we believe the same God that is that is gracious. What the problem is? What ha, what is going on in this time when Jesus uh, was around biblically? When Paul was around, they were fighting against th- this thing uh, where all of a sudden the law, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, became something, some kind of a rung instead of really the Ten Commandments is just a mirror where we, we look into it. It's just, we look into ourselves and we say, have I done these things? No, all the commandments do is reveal our sin. 
and reveal that, that we can't do it. It reveals that, that we need mercy, that we need help. And what, what the Jewish people of this day had done is they had turned the law into rungs on a ladder where it was kind of the steps deal where if you did this and did this and did this, then all of a sudden that you were righteous or, or maybe better than someone else. And so we're going to look at Paul saying, uh-uh, that's not the way it works. And, and Jesus did the same thing. And I want to read a parable that really makes some sense out of this. In Luke 18, uh, verse 10, it says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You already know you're in trouble if you start praying like that. The robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers or even, even the, this tax collector. I fast, rung twice a week. I give a tenth of all I have. Another rung. I'm better. I'm better. But the tax collector, you got to love this. Big time differences here. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the difference? We have one person that is connected and understands their sin. That they can't. That they're not going to be able to make it happen. They understand that the, the Ten Commandments, the commandments, the perfection of God is just simply not possible. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what the book of Romans does in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is it levels the playing field for everyone. That we all stand before God as people that need His mercy. That we need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And we need that. And, it, and I want to just go back to what Matthew was because it, as we transition into this chapter two, it'll, it'll make a little more sense why Paul does what he does at the beginning of chapter two. And I, I just want to read the last, I think, four verses in chapter one where we left off last week, and, and then we'll transition into chapter two. And it says this, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're sen senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Not only do they continue to do these things, but they approve of those who practice them. Now, if you're a Jewish person 
And you're, let's just say, in this Roman church and you're sitting there listening to someone read this letter about non-Jewish people. The Bible calls them Gentiles and you're a Jewish person and you think the law is, is the rung, the ladder way to get to God. It would be easy for you to be standing over in the corner and saying, yeah, God, get them. Get those God haters. Get those gossips. Get those people. I'm so glad I'm not one of them. But then Paul turns the corner in chapter 2 and he says this. This is our text for today. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other... You're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing, such things is based on truth. So that when a mere man, when you a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. So where Paul starts in this passage, in this teaches, he, he uses some same, the same wording that he used in, in chapter 1. He says, you have no excuse. Now, how many of you use that kind of wording? How many of you talk to your wife or husband like that? Uh-uh. <laughs> right? We do this when we discipline Right? We do this. If you have kids this week, you said you have no excuse. Right? I mean, we did. In fact, I, I got to be honest. This morning, I did that. I can promise you I was the first one up, the first one that left the house. Okay? My daughter woke up. One of my daughters woke up this morning. And we have a rule in our house. If you wake up, you don't wake anybody else up. Because if one kid wakes up another kid and then wakes up another kid, the parents on the weekend in the back room can't sleep in. That's called sin, okay? And so, I'm just saying. And so she went into her brother's room and woke him up. And I went in there and said, you have what? No excuse. Why? Because this is the 177th time we've done this. Right? I've told over and over and over. So she went back to her room and after I left, they probably hooked back up. And I had a good time and we're playing and all this good stuff. But Paul says, you have no excuse. And what does he say you have no excuse for? You have no excuse to judge people. And then he tells us why. And the main reason why is, the reason why is, first of all, we don't have the authority to do it because we do the same thing that we judge people for. We do the same thing. Now, how do you know if you're judging a person? 
How do you know if you're going down that road of placing judgment on a person? How do you, how do you know? Well, the first, what, what does a judge do? One of the first things a judge does and, and what they do is they determine the motive. They determine why a person would do what they did. And, and what they do in that, in that time where they determine motive is, is they, they look at evidence. What are the things that, that a person would do that would lead them to do this? Why? They, well, he was the wife and he was the husband and, and she, they got mad and he, she took her life. And the reason why was because of this and that and this and that, right? And so they look at motive. The second thing they'll do is they determine guilt or innocence, so a judge will say, declare guilty or innocence over a person, okay? And the, the third thing is, is they determine consequence. So now that we have a motive, now that we know whether they're guilty or whether they're innocent, then now we have a consequence. Because you did this, you get this. And that's what a judge does. The last thing a judge will do is they know the law. A judge knows the law. Backwards and forwards. They know what the law is. And they create law as well. That's what justices do. They, they create law. And the law is in place to protect us. To make things right. To make, make our world functional. And all that. But, but I think there's a bigger question than just these kind of judge things. I, I think the real question is on this issue. And I think Jesus deals with scripturally and how Paul deals with this is, is really this question. Can you search the heart of man? Can anybody in here search another man's heart? The person sitting behind you, the person sitting in front, do you really fully know what's going on in their hearts? Do you really fully know why they're doing what they're doing? You don't, and that's why it says that when God judges, he does so based on truth because he knows. He knows. He has the authority to do such a thing. Now, I want to show you, uh, I don't really so much want to teach this text as much as I'd like to show you with some other scriptures uh, what, this, what this means and what it means to judge and, and, and the consequence of it and all of that. But in the Old Testament, we see King David. And... Uh, you know, I don't know that I ever want to actually be a biblical character because all they do is get messed with, right? They just get picked on. They do good things. They love God. They follow God. And then, and then we read it and bug them. Uh, and so, but, but King David, um, he was, as Matthew talked about last week, he was uh, supposed to be at war. He was not at war. And, and so he, was, he stayed back at home and, and he uh, saw what he wasn't supposed to see, and then he started to think what he wasn't supposed to be thinking, and then he, he did something that he wasn't supposed to do, and he committed adultery, okay? And many of us uh, are familiar with that story. Uh, but King David committed the act of adultery. He also committed the act of murder, and he had a good friend named Nathan who was a prophet that came out of love and confronted King David. Now, if you have a friend and they are a prophet and they come to you and they start talking in like story form, you should be afraid, okay? Because they're about to bust you, all right? And so this is what's happening here. And so Nathan kind of goes into this story uh, and David's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so just takes it. Uh, and, and, but this is what the story is, is, this whole story is about. 
basically Nathan was like, hey, once upon a time, there was this man who was really wealthy, had a lot of money, had a lot of things. He had tons of lambs and sheep and cattle and all this stuff, had everything that you could even imagine. He had it. And then there was this other man, awesome, good man, but, but all he had was one little lamb. And he loved this lamb, took care of this lamb. Just the lamb slept next to him. is like his best buddy, friend. This is the kind of lamb uh, that he had. It's, it, it was his friend, his lamb, all this kind of stuff. And so this guy with his lamb, this poor man, comes to rich man who has everything and says, Hey, listen, I'm hungry and I need something to eat. And rich man said, No problem. No problem. And so he took this man's little lamb, took his lamb, and then he fed him his lamb, right? And so in 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, this is David's response. David burned with anger against the man and said, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this, deserves to die. The same kind of wording in, in Romans. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're that man. You're the man. You're the one that has done this thing. And he says, I anointed you. The Lord, of, uh, the Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I saved you to do what you're doing. And what Nathan said is, there is a hypocrisy, David, about your life. And in your own judgment, you judge and you do the same thing. You're the man. And what Paul is saying to these Roman Jewish people, you're the man. You're the man. There's a hypocrisy about your judgment because you do the same thing. And what Paul is saying, has anybody, have anybody thrown a boomerang? You know a boomerang, you throw it out, right? And what's it supposed to do? I throw the boomerang sometime and it does not come back. There's not a problem with that. But what is it supposed to do? If thrown right, what does it do? You throw it out and it comes back right to you, right? And in the same way, judgment, when we judge people, it has this boomerang effect and it comes right back to us. I have a question. Has anybody in here ever judged someone and then gone and done the same thing? Anybody? Show of hands. Let's just take a vote. Okay, there's some of you not raising, you should not lie in church. If you're not... I'm just, it's true. But we do this and we see David's response to his hypocrisy. And I want to read this. This is a man who wants to be right with God and, and deal with his life. And, and, and I, that's why he is a man after God's heart. In Psalm uh, 51, it says this, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit 
to sustain me. And so this passage, it talks about, it's not just judgment. And it doesn't put this word in there, but it just, it does it twice. It says, you who judge, you pass judgment, you do the same thing. And then a little further down, it says, you who pass judgment, then you do the same thing. What is it talking about? It's talking about hypocrisy. It's talking about what what David did in this this passage and and, and what what he did in in 2 Samuel here. And so, um, then at the end of this passage, uh, it starts talking about, it kind of brings a little light into this passage and and what God's intention is with us and how he works with us. Uh, I want to read this verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? This is in, in Romans 2. Tolerance and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. And so what Paul's saying is, it's God's kindness that's going to change people. It's God's kindness that's going to restore people. It's not going to be us judging it's not going to be us placing judgment on people, acting as if we have it all together. Saying the way, it, the way people repent and the way people change, the way there's change brought about is God's kindness leads people uh, to repentance. Now, I want to look at God's kindness in light of judgment. How does God work in light of judgment? Okay, so what we're going to do is going to look at John 8. John 8, verse 2. And we're going to see the kindness of God. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to John 8, uh, verse 2. I think the, the scriptures will be up on the screen if not. But in John 8, uh, we're going to get a picture of Jesus and how he deals uh, with kindness. It says this, verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And Jesus said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down. He didn't even answer him. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Because, I mean, immediately, you know, when somebody, we want a a quick answer, right? Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just respond. He just, I don't know if he's thinking about it or or I don't know what he's quite doing there. But he bent down. He started to ride on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, they kept harassing him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Why did the older ones leave first? Because the older you get, the more you connect with your sin. You just know, I am messed up. I need God, right? I saw this clearly like about, I don't know, it was like two or three months ago. There was a man I deeply respect. He's an elder in a church. And uh, he, I was with him and, and, uh, in a meeting, and he just began to 
weep about how close he felt to God at 80 years old and uh, how much he needed God at, at 80 and, and his connection with, with who he was as a man and, and all, of, all that he's done in his life. I mean, he was a superintendent of Austin ASD. He served on a president's cabinet at one point in his life. I mean, he just is just a great man, incredible experience, life experience, but he knows what's going on in his life. And it says that the older ones first until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. That is a picture of salvation. That is a picture of the kindness of God. But, but before we move forward, I just want us to stop for a minute. And I want us to put, just put yourself in the shoes of that woman for just a minute. So this woman is brought before probably all men, all by herself. So immediately, what are the things you think that, that are going on in her, her life, in her emotions, in who she is? She's scared. Be scared. I, I think that's a good, she was definitely scared. She was embarrassed. She felt guilty. She was hurting. She felt hopeless. All those things were going on in, in her life. She felt empty, isolated, powerless. Those are all the things that were happening with her. Why? All of those things are the response to a person in light of judgment from, from men. When we judge people, when these men judged her and isolated her and put her alone, all of those things happen. And so she has this, all of this stuff that's just kind of all, all over her. And, and it's, 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 she's in pain, she's hurting and all that kind of stuff. And then what does Jesus do? What does he do? It's like he stands in between her and them. Is if, just, if, if you have never sinned, those of you who, Exactly what it says. He says, any of you without sin, let him throw the first stone. He says that. And so he, he protects her in a major way. Stands in the way and he protects her. I don't know if you've ever had somebody where you've been judged and then somebody stands in a place of protection for you. You ever had that happen to you? What's that like? You know, when I was in uh, eighth grade, I was playing baseball, kind of. I wasn't very good at baseball. And so most of the time I was in the dugout. And, uh, and so I got really bored being in the dugout and because uh, I uh, just wasn't very good. And I had a mentor in my life at that point uh, who was, uh, he was a vice principal at a middle school. 
I didn't actually go to that middle school, but he, he was just a really, he was like a father figure for me all the way through high school. And, uh, and I remember I would go in and out of the dugout, like go and eat stuff, like during the game. That's just not cool. And uh, it's just not a good idea, but, you know, you're an eighth grader, right? That's my excuse. Plus, you know, I think it was the coach's fault that I wasn't very good. And so, no, I'm just, I just wasn't good, okay? I promise. I, I quit after that, all right? And, and so uh, I did that, and, and one day... Uh, one of the dads from the team that I was on, uh, I think maybe his kid got in trouble. I don't know. But he, he was in this mentor of my mind's office. Okay? So I think the only reason you'd be sitting as a dad in the uh, middle school uh, vice principal's office is if your kid gets in trouble. Okay? Unless you're good buddies. They weren't buddies. So I guess that's what was going on. And uh, somehow, some way, my name got brought up. And this dad said, oh, yeah, John Church, he's a squirrely guy that's on my kid's team. Right? And so my mentor friend, he's telling me this story. So, so what's my question going to be back to him, right? What'd you say? Did you protect me? <laughs> right? And this is what he said. You and I have a different opinion about who John Church is. That's what he said. What did he do? He protected me against the judgment of another man. How do you think that made me feel? (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's how this woman is feeling times 50. Jesus protected her. And it's the kindness of of God that leads to repentance. And I remember this growing up because this was my story. For the longest time, I thought as a high schooler that doing the right things were going to get me to God. And I was arrogant about it. And then I read the Bible. (laughs) And it told me something vastly different. And it was by reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the kindness of God leads to repentance. It'll never be the judgment of man. In fact, those guys thought they were doing something good. But really, if they wanted more judgment, they made a real mistake bringing this woman to Jesus. Right? Because it's, it's such a powerful thing, God's, God's, God's kindness. And it triumphs all judgment, all things that have been said over us and against us. I mean, you can just think, maybe the worst, in the worst way someone's judged you or spoke over you, maybe a mom or a dad or a brother, sister or your best friend, maybe it happened this week, whatever, and someone spoke a judgment over you. And it hurts and it's isolating. And Paul says, that doesn't work. It's the kindness of God that's going to lead people to repentance. So I'll close with this. What is you and I's highest calling on this earth? What is the thing that we're to do to people? Obviously, it's not judging them. And so if it's not judging them, then what are we supposed to do? Bring them to Jesus. 
Because if we bring them to Jesus, he's just going to be so kind to them and love them and bless them and speak words of power and blessing. And then they're they're going to repent. Do you think this woman walked away and was just like, oh, yeah, whatever? No, she repented. Jesus, don't do this anymore. Just stop doing this. But God's kindness leads to repentance. And as his followers, we have no excuse to judge because the fruit of it is confusion because we do the same thing. And it's called hypocrisy.